Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to The Love Code. This is a show that really is designed to uplift, to inspire, to transform you so you can really express the deepest truth about who you are. And I always enjoy having conversations on The Love Code because the people who I have invited to share their stories and their inspiration are so amazing and it's so uplifting to have these stories. And, I, I, you know, personally, more than ever before, we need stories. We need uplifting stories. We need stories of inspiration. We need stories that help us to remember who we are and why we have come into this world, into this incarnation. So I'm so thrilled that you are joining me again for another wonderful conversation that I will be having on the show. Before I jump into the uh, special guests that I have all the way from Australia, I just want to remind everyone listening that all of my podcasts are archived. So if you can't listen live, you can always do one of two choices. You can go and like me at my Facebook page, which is What Women Must Know. So let me say that again, What Women Must Know, because that's the name of the other podcast I do on Progressive Radio Network. So just like me over at What, uh, women, what women Must Know, and then I will post the archive shows. Or you can go to my website, which is drcherylselman.com, and opt in to my website because then I just send all of these great archive shows to your inbox every week. So you'll get both of my shows. And you definitely want to be listening to both of the shows. I have uh, wonderful guests on What Women Must Know and also on The Love Coast. So it'll keep you educated, empowered, inspired, uplifted, and I trust will bring more love and healing into your life. So let's talk about today's guest, and uh, I'm uh, just really so thrilled to be introducing you to my guest, Ram Adamides. We're going to be talking about the power of native Australian essential oils, which Ram and his wife have uh, an amazing company called Rare Earth Oils, and we're going to explore the Aboriginal world, which is a fascinating culture. It's a culture I have been very blessed to have experienced on bush with and to remote areas with elders, with women elders, with male elders. I've, um, I, I, one of my most sacred objects, and, and um, I, I, I will never part with it, is a painting I received at a gallery in um, um, Western, West Australia, Western Australia. Um, by an Aboriginal woman artist, and it's an amazing painting of women sitting in circles and the birth of this feminine energy, and it was just perfect for where I was at. So um, I, I'm just really happy to introduce you to my guest today, Ram Adamides, and he's going to be exploring um, his journey into Aboriginal culture and um, his passion that has evolved out of that and how his work with uh, rare earth oils, which, by the way, are available in the U.S. as well as in other countries, uh, will be supporting his foundation. So, Rom, um, 
It's an absolute delight and a pleasure to welcome you all the way from far north Queensland, as they say here in Australia, FNQ, <laughs> without electricity. That's <laughs> so right. Thank you very show. much. Thanks. A real honour to be um, on your show. So thank you. And uh, as you know, in far north Queensland, it's wild and the power's just gone out and a, and a cyclone's just passed a few hundred kilometres north of us, but that's just a, a normal day in paradise. <laughs> but, you know, I have to say for people listening, the, 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 the population of far north Queensland is a unique breed. themselves <laughs> are it's that rugged pioneer spirit when you live up in the tropics. <laughs> so, and it, it is certainly beautiful. Is. It's beautiful up we're, there. We're, we're very um, blessed up here. We, we've got a beautiful environment where the ocean and the rainforest still meet and the, and the World Heritage Tropical Reef and the beautiful ancient indigenous culture as well. So it's a very beautiful spot on the planet, but it's also very wild and rugged. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very unique. Um, I, uh, I, I'm so interested in your story, Ram. Um, you've got quite uh, an experience uh, to share um, in, in many ways. And just, uh, you know, there's so many options of where we can go in this interview. But I, I was sharing with you earlier, I, I would like you to talk about the time that you actually got funded by the government to go into these remote Aboriginal communities with a purpose. And I'm just going to leave it there and have you take it <laughs> from that mm, point okay. on. Well, when I moved to Far North Queensland over 20 years ago, the reason I moved here was to work and live with the Indigenous elders. Um, so well, we've spent the last 20 years working in different Indigenous com communities across Australia. And it's been the highest honour to spend time with the Indigenous elders uh, and to learn and become part of their community and culture and to learn about the country and the stories, the dreaming, the chukulpa, which is a, a word for dream time in one of the languages. So one of the things that inspired us is to learn from Indigenous culture, but it's to preserve and share that culture and celebrate the rich history of Australia. Uh, and how that operates in a contemporary context is very important and how we connect with that. So we were lucky enough to start living and working with these elders and learning. So we created a non-profit organisation called the Rare Earth Foundation. And the primary goal of our foundation is to do endangered language preservation. So in Australia, there's more than 250 unique languages. But unfortunately, in the last 200 years, 110 of those languages have been wiped out. Uh, 116 are endangered, and only more like 16 are considered strong. So the languages are the powerhouse of the countercultural knowledge embedded into Indigenous culture. And so you see reflections of that knowledge in the dream time, in the art, in the dance, in the songs. And these songs, dances, and the dreaming is a map of the land, the geographic locations. All of those paintings are places. So these songs are the songs of singing up the land and the stories of how the interconnected dreaming travels across the whole of Australia, the whole of the world, and also into space. 
Um, so the traditional cultural knowledge is, we believe, is one of the most important things to help heal our current society. So our nonprofit organisation uh, has been working to partner with Indigenous tribal groups to do Connecting the Country programs and to create media and education resources. And we were successful and we've run a lot of projects and been funded by the government. But we realised that the barrier to our success was the government and that independent enterprise is the solution. So we learned and listened to the elders and we thought, well, how can we operate with cultural integrity uh, and run a business but still follow the laws and the culture of the elders? Uh, and that's where we came to the uh, collaboration with the corporate sector and we came to collaborate in the production and distillation of essential oils. So there's a vast ethnobotanical knowledge stored in these cultures and that unbroken connection that they have with the land and that cultural knowledge of ethnobotanicals is exceptionally valuable for our modern time. And so that's why we've created a business that focuses around plant medicines and developing pathways to create business partnerships with Indigenous communities so that we're able to create an economic partnership that's in alignment with our social and spiritual goals. So that's a brief introduction. Um, yeah, you know, such a beautiful goal. Such a be it's beautiful to have um, a, a vision that uh, gives you the, um, the passion, the passion to create something and find vehicles that support that. Um, you know, can we, um, for people who don't know much about Aboriginal culture, can you share a little bit more about what you've learned? And the term that I'm sure people have heard about, the dream time, is a common uh, word, common phrase. I'm sure most people, if they have any knowledge of Australian Aboriginal uh, culture, the dream time comes up. It's often associated with Australia, the dream time. But I don't know how many people understand what that is, if you can even explain it in words, you know, because it's, I know it's an experience, but maybe we can start there and give my listeners some um, more understanding, appreciation of Australian culture, Aboriginal culture. Yeah, well, I definitely don't pretend to understand it, um, but our journey has been about learning and being part of that cultural sharing, become a custodian of cultural knowledge to care for the land. So I think the Indigenous world view, uh, so I'm non-Indigenous, I'm half Greek, Scottish and English. So my parents uh, were born in Australia, but my grandparents on the Greek side were refugees. And so they experienced racism. And so it was a shared understanding of not knowing where your country is. I'll just reframe this a little bit. That the Aboriginal, Indigenous people, I should say, feel sorry for a lot of the white people uh, or non-Indigenous people who have lost their connection to their land, to their culture, to their stories, to their dreaming. So the most sacred thing for Indigenous people is the country. And they are custodians of that country. And when you've got an unbroken connection for over 65,000 years to that country, 
the Tukulpa, the dreaming, is sung out of the country. That's the knowledge of how to care for the land. It's the knowledge of the spiritual guidance for the community. It's the knowledge of the seasons. It's the knowledge that you gain through initiation and the sacred ceremonies. So that is the most important knowledge, we believe, is the culture, the language that is an... Un- we have a unique opportunity that I've been fortunate enough to work with some of the last elders that walked out of the bush uh, from the wild. So some of the last Indigenous people in Central Australia came out of the bush naked in 1984 um, up in Pinterby, which is um, a place north of Alice Springs. So a lot of people who don't live in Australia and a lot of Australians think that this is something that happened 200 years ago, where we're here lucky enough to be connected to the oldest continuous culture on the planet and have some of the elders that have got have literally walked out of the desert naked and they've been the ones we've been working with and learning and trying to share and, and understand those stories. So the dreaming is something that doesn't happen when you're asleep. It's the recognition that spirit and matter are connected. It's the recognition that we are part of nature and nature is part of us and that one of the most important responsibilities being human is to care for our country, to care for our planet. And and in a modern society that uh, doesn't have a process of self-initiation into manhood or womanhood or doesn't have uh, a cultural or spiritual barometer that isn't set by multi-media uh, and social media or government agendas, cultural or the dream time never changes it's this truth that comes down through time and that's the law and the culture is embedded in that and the stories and the songs uh, express the essence of that whereas in a western society or i should say industrial society uh, what we see are the influences of external factors that don't care for the earth or the continuity of the culture and the stories or the continuity of humanity over, you know, short-term gain. So the elders talk about 12 generations or more into the future. That's our, we're custodians of our great-great-great-grandchildren of this planet. And that's how a lot of indigenous cultures think and see the, the planet. So I think, I believe that indigenous cultures hold the key for industrial society to reconnect itself. We call it neo-tribalism. I'm not suggesting we all go and live in caves. And, but if we do learn how to make fire, we do learn how to hunt, we do learn how to live in harmony and balance with the planet around us, then we are fulfilling our obligation for our future generations. And I think that is the cultural law which is part of the dream time, and it's all interconnected. And we are all come from a place, uh, like the Indigenous elders have said to us, that our ancestors are all earth-based cultural people. It's just that we've lost that connection from where we come from, who we are, and what are our songs, and what are our dances. And if we don't know, that's okay. It's really easy. We sit down and talk to our elders. We find people in our community that resonate on the same frequency, and we build... Uh, build things together. So it's neo-tribalism hmm. yeah, is one of the ideas. Was, Ram, was it, um, 
What, what was it like when you first met those elders? Were they skeptical of you? Were they welcoming of you? What was that initial meeting and uh, you know, introduction like? In my initial uh, years growing up in northern New South Wales in Byron Bay, we were part of the alternative counterculture. And so I'm a second-generation, free-range Australian. So I grew up in the bush in a solar-powered <laughs> home. Uh, you know, we, our parents were the first people in Australia to stop the logging of old-growth forests through direct action. So our parents put themselves up in tree hutches and then they litigated against the government. And so they were the first successful people in Australian history to stop the logging of old-growth forests and start the first alternative communities. So let's say the 60s that happened in America maybe happened in the 70s in Australia. And so we're the children of that generation that got to grow up connected to nature with our parents trying to rebuild the connection to the country and as a society create a new way. But unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of a strong indigenous culture in some of these areas because of the last 200 years of colonialism. So our parents were creating a new way. But it wasn't until I was older that I went up to uh, one of the most amazing indigenous dance festivals in Queensland in the bottom of Cape York called the Laura Indigenous Dance Festival. Um, L-A-U-R-A, the Laura Indigenous Dance Festival. Um, and so, you, so I was lucky enough to be invited to this festival where all of the tribes from Cape York come and share their culture and share their language, sharing their last sacred thing that, that hasn't been taken from them. But they're willing to share it with us. So I was lucky enough to sit and learn and watch the dances and the culture. So the first time as an Australian, it opened my mind to what Indigenous culture is. It opened my mind to what Australia is. Because it wasn't what I was led to believe in the media. Indigenous people have this proud knowledge and culture, and they're sharing that with us. And I was lucky enough to sit around uh, the fire with these elders and have a direct cultural experience. And when I'm in the presence of these elders, it elevates me to becoming a better person. And so I connected with this culture. I just felt like it was the most important thing to learn, more important than the commercial world that I was in, in the media and film industry. And... So I decided to um, move and live with these indigenous elders. And uh, so I lived in a bus in the jungle uh, in North Queensland here with the elders. And we started making interactive cultural education resources using new media technology. And so I was rejecting this commercial industrial exploitation of our planet and the environment. And, and what they wanted was to learn about business. They respected my media culture. I wanted to learn about the technology of the earth to liberate myself from the industrial shackles, let's say, because now I spent seven or eight years learning how to make a fire, learning how to hunt, learning how to survive, and then I'm choosing to participate in industrial society. Uh, not I'm too afraid not to subscribe to go to the nine-to-five work that I can't feed myself. So once I had the power to be able to feed and sustain myself spiritually and physically from surviving off the land, it gave me a different way of seeing the world. And so I think part of our job is to walk on this path together and to realise that it's really very simple and it's as simple as connecting to nature and, and trying to connect to the traditional owners of the land, but realize that we all within all of us we have this um, 
innate spiritual connection to the planet and the earth. It's just sometimes we need a different cultural worldview um, to see the lens through a different cultural filter. Um, I hope that makes sense. Oh, yeah, no, that's totally um, inspiring, actually, to um, have that courage, Ron, that you just, in a sense, left the, um, you know, the Western world behind and you were willing to to learn. You are willing to connect with the wisdom and honor and recognize the wisdom of the elders. And, um, uh, you know, I, I just think that's such a blessing. You were just so fortunate to be able to have that time to be there and to find a part of yourself that you would never have been able to find anywhere else. The analogy that I used, I was running a, and working in the film industry at a young age and had a successful business in Sydney in the film industry. And I felt like I was the king of the concrete jungle, but I didn't know how to survive. And and it was the knowledge of the, the gift the elders have given me. I was rejecting my cultural values and conditioning, but they were valuing it. So we were getting an equal energetic exchange. The, the elders wanted me to help them with their media. They wanted help developing their businesses. They wanted help to, to strengthen their independent nations and continue their culture and empower their children. But I was rejecting the business and rejecting the governance and rejecting that world, whereas that was also the key is to walk the balanced path and mm-hmm. but to have our feet firmly planted in these cultural values uh, that the elders are able to give us. And then the other analogy I use is that I just then become the eyes, the ears, the arms and the legs of the elders because once you start working, I was adopted into an indigenous tribe. So I was then part of a bigger, something bigger than myself that was connected to the country, then I had a role, a cultural position. We talk about uh, industrial people not having a cultural position. The only way we navigate in our society is by using GPS, which is great for mapping the, the, the environment. But how do we navigate our culture? And in a tribal or cultural society, the cultural position of each person is valuable and important, and we know that cultural position. And that gives us a framework. I'm a hunter, I'm a medicine man, I'm a dancing man, I'm a song man, I'm a medicine woman, I'm a song woman. Um, You know, what does it mean to be an elder? So our uh, industrial education model is about removing people from the earth. Uh, It's about um, training them to operate in an industrial society in a functional way. The domestication of the human spirit is done through the suburbs. It's done not through nuclear power. It's it's a separation of the nuclear family. So industrial people are often left alone and lonely, not having a sense of connection to country, a sense of connection to place. So there's more nothing more honourable for me to be involved in when an elder sings me onto the country, sings me onto that land, teaches me to be a cultural custodian and hand on hold on to that knowledge and learn that knowledge and care for that knowledge and I'm not doing it just for myself it's my children will be born in to a, to a society where they have two worlds they live in modern world but we have a cultural connection back to the country and, and then they can then have a framework that we never got to grow up with which is reconnecting indigenous culture, reconnecting the country 
and getting the young people and the elders to, to work together. Instead, what a lot of industrial people do is they put their children in daycare and they put their elders in aged care. Indigenous people look at this and go, that's crazy. The elders teach the children, but we need to work together, not have a nuclear family separated. So like Earth-based agrarian European 100 years ago, this whole family worked together as a unit, whereas now the families don't work together as a unit. They're all nuclear. Um, so I think that's what we're... Well, I've been honoured and enough to start the journey of learning about culture, learning about the stories and the dreaming, and that's the most... That's what our foundation is focused around, is helping people maintain a cultural connection to the land. So we'll take five generations of people. Some of the elders haven't been to their own traditional story places, so we take two... Toyota troop carriers, which are full drives, fill it full of $2,000 worth of diesel and get the satellite phones and go thousands of kilometres out into the desert where there aren't roads. And that's the real important thing that my tribal grandfather said that our job as the next generation is to sing the new songs, to dance the new dances and to bring the tribes together. But what does that look like? Well, that means we have to facilitate transport and logistics for traditional people to maintain those cultural connections for the whole of our society around the planet. And I think that's why every country, and I like to pay respect to the um, American Indians, um, and that, you know, through creating cultural exchange programs like we did in 2012 for the Global Elders Gathering, we were fortunate enough to do a crowdfunder and raise money to get some representatives from the Navajo Nation to come and sit with elders from all across Australia and all across the world. So that's the future that we're looking to create is bringing the elders together, future leaders, independent NGOs and businesses through a conscious capitalism where we're being responsible for what we're doing and, and there's actually checks and balances that we can put into our society and we get a choice of here's an alternative way to live or that we don't want to perpetuate the, the, the norm. And it's uh, an interesting time in the history of humanity because there's so many of the systems that are uh, falling apart right now that aren't functioning, that aren't supporting us to be fully expressing who we are. <clears throat> and there's more of a uh, growing awareness of the spirituality of reconnecting to the earth. I just hear that so much with so many of my guests. And, of course, I've been uh, to Peru and to Costa Rica and have spent time with various indigenous cultures. And it's all about reconnecting with nature. It's such a strong uh, message that's going out there. We have to reconnect once again with nature, which is ourselves, to really be able to live in greater harmony and health and healing and to build, uh, build a society-based on a culture that really honors life. Absolutely. Living with nature is the key. The other key is interconnectedness, collective cooperation, neo-tribalism. We're not expecting everybody to run out into the bush and we don't need to trade seal skins for boomerangs. What we need to do is create conscious way of operating business that maintains the cultural integrity of the elders and the earth. So the cultural law, I believe, is what we should base our society's values on, not the economic law. 
or the Westminster mm. Law or the Bill of Rights, as it may be in America, which is all underpinned by the Magna Carta. So what we're looking at is where's the shared truth of humanity and how do we... And so it's about mass self-organisation leading by example and we create pods and hubs or neo-tribal clusters. We need a group of people to be part and connected into society. So who are those people that we want to create a tribe with? You know, my elders. My father is a fantastic um, breath worker. But he wasn't my action dad. He wasn't a tribal elder that helped me learn about culture and initiation. So where are these other people in our society, in our tribe? Who are the elders in our tribe? If we don't have some, that's totally okay. What we do is we just look out there and we see who are those people that hold the wisdom of their decade. Who are those people that are walking with integrity and these elders? And then we connect with them in our local community. It's not something that's done on the internet. It can be done on the internet, but it's about the grassroots movement of going down to the aged care home. They've got a great television program in Australia at the moment. Called, it's called the um, it's the it's the uh, Young Persons Aged Care Project or something. And they've got they're doing the first experiment in Australia where they've got four year olds working in the aged care, and they've got the elders in the and the four year olds working together. And lo and behold, just like the indigenous people are saying. The mental health outcomes for the elderly are drastically increased. The health mm-hmm. outcomes are drastically increased because we're connecting the elders to the children. <laughs> so part of it's connecting to nature. The other part of it is connecting and reweaving the social fabric of our society. Yeah, I didn't even know that show existed. That's amazing. Someone had a very creative idea that they managed to make happen. It's brilliant. It's so simple. It's scientific. It's evidence-based. And lo and behold, if we get our elders to connect with our young children, it actually transforms our society. It's something that simple. But how do we do that on a larger scale? How do we organize that? We don't have the solution. We talked about it. And and like you you have car sharing applications like car share or Uber or whatever it might be. We thought we should have child sharing and elder sharing applications where you can, there's all these lonely elders and there's all these children being farmed out to institutions for their education. Um, so there's something there. I don't know the answer exactly. <laughs> well, the huge potential as more people become aware of the need to reconnect, you know, re-knit cultures together again. We've gone that as far apart as we could possibly go just so disorientated from family and from culture or, you know, on our own, so to speak. So um, this is a new emerging time. And that brings us back to the foundation. I want us to kind of segue into what you've created uh, based on your gift, this amazing time with Aboriginal communities. And out of that, creating this business that you, are, you know, right livelihood business called Rare Earth Oils. So let's talk about Native Australian essential oils and what they are. And, you know, I, I know for a long time because, you know, 40 years ago I came to Australia and um, there was so little interest in anything indigenous as far as foods and plants and oils. You know, no one was really interested very much in discovering what this country had to offer. 
And that's changed. That's profoundly transformed in, in the last, I don't know how many decades, but it's really changed. And you're part of that change. So tell us more about your essential oils based on uh, many native Australian plants and, and trees. So it comes back to the foundation. Herrera Soils was created out of our non-profit organization. So we were instructed by the elders to become independent financially. Uh, so our goal was how do we become independent of government resources and how do we become financially independent so that we can develop these projects. So the 100 Nation Tour, raising awareness around endangered languages, we got support from the corporate media sector to do these, but we realised, well, how do we fund this for the next 12 generations? So that's when, with the understanding we have around traditional medicines and cultural law, we thought, how do we create a business that still honours the cultural values of the people we're representing? And so you're exactly right. 40 years ago, 20 years ago, there's this subconscious uh, denial around the history of Australia because there's unfortunately is quite a violent history um, of colonial invasion that I won't go into right now. But that's traumatic. So there's this transgenerational trauma that exists there. So part of it is healing the spirit of our country is by all of us coming together. So we thought, wow, what's a business that can do this? How do we support people out on the land but also run a business in the real world that can be taken seriously. So what we ended up uh, coming up with was wild harvesting and distilling bush medicines and making uh, natural medicines that we find on the land. So taking this idea of hunting, gathering, foraging, wild harvesting that's at the core and the heart of Indigenous culture. It's living in balance with the land that's around us. So in Australia, we have over 900 species of eucalyptus which is a type of tree that has, it produces a certain type of eucalyptus oil. So that's one of the most abundant natural resources across Australia. But it's also um, very important for a time like now, obviously, uh, because it's a natural antiviral. So one of the most powerful natural medicines in, as, as an antiviral exists in great abundance in the bush. And so we try and talk about ethical social enterprise that's about building economy based on country without compromising our cultural integrity. So what that means is we go out into the bush, into the wild, and we harvest leaves. We pick them from the trees and then we steam them in a low-pressure steam distillery and then we produce eucalyptus oil. So we started doing this and we thought, oh, my God, we're absolutely mad because you can buy... <laughs> certain eucalyptus oil cheaper from China or Brazil or as you would know in America you're a big fan of our eucalyptus trees and one of the reasons they're so flammable is because of the eucalyptus oil that's in those trees and I'm just going to segue a little bit here indigenous elders have the fire law the fire knowledge of managing these trees of managing the land of farming uh, 10,000 hectares. So the traditional tribal estates were quite large and fire was one of the ways to manage that. And so that knowledge is a good example in modern society, how knowing how to manage that fire. So in Australia, we've been affected by bushfires because 200 years, the people who have cared for the land have been neglected and, and uh, disregarded 
Um, whereas now there's a shift in the culture and that's why there's a shift in the awareness. So 20 years ago, 10 years ago, more Australians knew more about American Indian culture and sweat lodges than they knew about Indigenous culture. But luckily there's a massive shift occurring in, around traditional medicine, Indigenous culture around the planet. And so what we've done is created a really simple business. We thought, what do we do with this eucalyptus oil? We're creating one of the highest quality eucalyptus oils, which is wild harvested from a place that it's evolved over 20 million years. So people go, well, why is wild harvested better than organic? Because we say to them, being ethical and being wild harvested is more important than being organic because being organic, just because your soya beans are monoculturally mass-produced on clean fell rainforest land in the Amazon using organic farming doesn't mean it's organic. Sorry, it doesn't mean it's ethical. Obviously, it's organic, but... So what we've decided is our enterprise focuses around wild harvesting essential oils from the bush and then distilling them. And then out of these eucalyptus oils, we've created a range of wellness products. So what we're trying to give people is an opportunity in mainstream society to um, get rid of chemicals in their lives. So most people are being poisoned by synthetic fragrances, uh, parabens, fake waxes, uh, and these are known carcinogens. In some way, America leads the way more than Australia. They've just banned a lot of carcinogenic antibacterial and antiviral agents through the FDA in America, and Australia is still using them, yet they're known carcinogens. So once we educate ourselves, most people want to stop using synthetic products, which not only damage the planet and are made from the petroleum production bioprocess, they also harm your body. So these synthetic fragrances that people use, these underarm deodorants, the synthetic chemicals in all of the shampoos. So what we've started to do is create an organic alternative to a product. I don't know if you have it in America called Vix, which is a cough and cold chest rub. Do you guys have that in America? Oh, yeah, we do. So we've created an organic alternative to something like Vix. We've created an organic alternative to something like Tiger Balm because these are the essence of these powerful medicines can be integrated using traditional medicine but also modern sciences. So we've partnered with the chemistry department. We have this traditional herbal knowledge that we've, we've infused from the Ayurvedic traditions and the Asian cultural knowledge of medicines, the European herbal knowledge of cultural medicine and the Australian botanicals. And then we've created an organic essential oil range and we've created an organic range of um, natural medicines to help with coughs, colds, muscles and these sort of things. And all we're doing is using the traditional medicines of our ancestors uh, instead of using synthetic chemicals that are alternatives that are cheaper to produce but that will increase the profit margin for the shareholders for big companies and that's how they think. Whereas we're an ethical enterprise focused around delivering high quality products that have integrity um, and so far we're very fortunate and we've started to create a great distribution network but our real goal is to be able to expand the development of traditional um, medicines and traditional uh, Australian oils. So we've got some amazing oils. We've managed to work with the chemistry department to create a new compound out of one of the eucalyptus oils uh, and it's an equivalent to DEET or Picarin. So we can now create an organic product that's wild harvested that's as effective as an insect repellent as the most powerful synthetic chemicals that are known to be carcinogens. So that's what we're working on. It's called green synthesis and it's photonic chemistry. Um, but that's probably another topic. 
<laughs> is that product available now? Uh, not officially. Um, yeah. We've just finished the testing, so as we're adhering to the Australian regulatory frameworks to be able yeah. to uh, sell it as, as as a repellent. So we have it available in okay. the, as a test for our um, people in our next crowdfunder, maybe. But at the moment, we've just finalised the science. Then we work for the Centre of Disease Control at a different department at a university. They do the efficacy testing, and then once we finish those tests, we get it approved by. Uh, the equivalent entity in Australia uh, to the TGA or the FDA, but it deals with these type of compounds. Um, Very exciting. So there's amazing bush Very chemistry. Yeah, we, so that, that, that's where we believe we can use the power of nature to compete with synthetic chemicals. We can make it more vi- viable, uh, but the answer is in nature and the medicines exist in nature. So we've got beautiful protocol involved around reducing viral load using these compounds we've got some of the most up-to-date scientific studies using the active ingredient in eucalyptus is cinol and that varies between a therapeutic grade oil and an industrial oil so therapy it's very important for for people out there to to if they're using them in a medicinal or therapeutic context to make sure that their essential oils aren't adulterated with synthetic chemicals and to make sure that at a certain quality level so the definition of a therapeutic oil is the active ingredient needs to be above a per- certain percentage to be considered a medicinal or therapeutic essential oil. So you have some unique oils and based on these native Australian plants uh, and trees. So can we go through uh, some of these? Because I, I think they're fascinating and I'd like people to know about them and appreciate them so they can perhaps even order them for themselves. So um, where shall we begin? You've got several here. Uh, how about um, the re- the river red gum? Let's talk about that. Is that one of the eucalyptus trees you were talking about, the oils? Precisely. So each eucalyptus tree, there being over 900 species, the oil that's created from that tree has a different um, and a chemical analysis. It's a little natural chemical compound. And so, for example, one of them is the red gum, which is one of the highest grade therapeutic eucalyptus oils for um, steam inhalation to kill viruses, chest infection. It's, scientific, it's, it's Medicinally, it's used as an expectorant, a decongestant, and an antiviral. Uh, but the other unique compound that's shared between the river red gum, which is one we wild harvest, and also the narrow leaf iron bark. Although these trees grow near each other, they've got totally different features. They've got a different um, constitution. So we analyze using gas chromatography. So that they get the, the, the labs, the, the chemistry labs get a sample of it, and then they can identify the individual compounds that are found inside that. So that's how we're able to verify the quality of the therapeutic constituent. Um, but for example, that one's also really good for the muscle. So the, the, the cinol, the active ingredient in eucalyptus, has the ability to penetrate through the blood cell wall barrier and, and it accelerates other compounds and it works to relax the muscles. But it's also an antiviral that's absorbed transdermally. It can be steam inhaled and we use it in an inhaler that we create for congestion relief. So out of that product, we have based a lot of our other product range. So one's a chest rub for coughs and colds. And then the other oil that's very unique is the lemon-scented eucalyptus. So it has a totally different 
constitution to the other two eucalypts that we harvest, and its main active ingredient uh, can be transformed into the world, one of the world's most uh, powerful natural insect repellents. So that's the important thing is the scientific evidence used using a pure essential oil, which is one of the strongest by itself for insect repellent, being the lemon-scented eucalyptus, it only lasts 25 minutes in a, in a clinical study to repel insects. Because it's so volatile, it evaporates at air temperature. Whereas we've worked with a chemistry department to transform uh, through a natural process to create a new compound, and that compound's stable and lasts six to eight hours. Uh, and, it's, and, and the science is already recognised as one of the strongest repellents. So through these scientific innovations, we're able to maintain competitiveness on a global environment and then, then create economy in the local Indigenous communities based on harvesting leaves that grow naturally in, for thousands of hectares in their traditional land. So have you been given permission by the... Um different communities to go onto the land or is, is that a government permission or is it an Aboriginal community permission when we, you're harvest, when you're collecting? We operate under the cultural law of the sovereign Indigenous nations of Australia that have never seceded their law to the current governance structure. That is a whole other mm -hmm. conversation. But, mm, so like what that. that means is <laughs> whose land is it, we may ask. Well, it's the traditional owners of the land that have a 65,000-year unbroken connection to that land. So these are the elders that we're partnering with uh, to harvest and distill the oils. The challenge has been creating an enterprise where these oil plants are grown overseas or not done with that same integrity or quality is we have to maintain relevance in a commercial context in the modern world or we're just dreamers. So... That's why we've created this product range. That's why we now stock the best quality oils from all around the world. And we are an ethical alternative to some of the uh, multi-level marketing um, businesses that currently dominate in this space. Uh, and, and you would probably, yeah, so I, I think that, that we want to be, that every time someone buys an oil from us, that's going to help develop these cultural economy on country. It's going to help build businesses in communities. So we've just got to the point as a small business where we're viable. Now what we need to do is grow it so we can increase our impact to being not just a few communities in our local area, but a lot more communities across Australia. And then also it gives us the ability to partner with other Indigenous communities across the world that have the same values. So we use other wild harvested oils in our range or we work with other um, community farming projects around the world that are um, have the same values around organic wild harvested, um, doing things in small batch, moving away from mass monocultural mass production, um, and and so the oils are a powerful way to reconnect people to nature because it's the pure essence of the plant. It's a powerful way to um, create an ethical cultural economy, understanding where you buy your things from. People have more capacity to change society choosing where they spend their money. Economic democracy is more real than the participatory act of voting, which is, uh, is something that happens every four years in Australia or something like that. Um, so we believe that every choice you make with every dollar you spend determines what type of planet we're going to create, determines what type of body you're going to have 
based on whether you're honoring your body with these natural compounds or whether you, you get poisoned by some of these modern medicines. So 97% of modern medicines are based on plants, except they synthesize copies of these for mass production uh, from the petroleum uh, byproducts. So a simple example of that on a nutritional level is ascorbic acid can come from oranges or ascorbic acid can be derived from uh, petroleum byproducts. The, the synthetic chemist will tell you it, it's a, an identical copy to a natural chemistry, but then at a sub-molecular level, there's a difference in the isomers. Uh, there, there's a difference in... It's like another analogy is a, a diamond is a diamond, and a zirconian is a copy of a diamond. Um, and, you know, I think we're all diamonds. <laughs> You know, I, I wanted you to be able to share your story because there's something that people really resonate with when someone is coming from this truly passionate, um, ethnically, you know, concerned, um, restorative point of view. That, you know, when your heart is in it, as your heart is obviously in what you are doing, and this is so connected to your mission. And when people understand the story, when they understand the um, unique way that you have um, harvested, gathered and harvested the oils, and then how it's part of a bigger plan, a bigger vision, it's something that inspires people, Ram. And that is what you did so well in this conversation we've been having to inspire people to know more about what you are doing, how they can, how someone in the States can support what you're doing here up in far North Queensland and the tropics, because you can purchase these products, you know, around the world. So why don't you tell us where they are available? Obviously um, you can go to rareearthoils.com and do you ship anywhere in the world? Does people order directly from your website? Yeah, we uh, we also do global shipping from our website. Um, we have one stockist in New York at the moment, which is um, fairly humble. Um, otherwise, who, who is that from the website? Who, who, it's called Gray Therapy. Uh, well, this is okay. an amazing man who we met at our store, and he does uh, dance therapy. And, and uh, he helps activate people and in particular young people and helping with mental health. Uh, and so he runs, a, I can't tell you which avenue in New York it's on, but I can certainly <laughs> send a, a link that you can add to the bottom of the, um, the page. Uh, and so Gray's therapy, is he's using it to help with the dance. The oils activate your mind. There's a whole neuroscience around this. Um, and so that's what he's using it for as a therapeutic tool to work with people in a dance therapy activation awareness uh, context. Uh, and so he stocks a limited range of our products in New York. And so he would be able to dispatch them from, from, from the U.S. directly. Well, what we're really looking for is other conscious people to collaborate with on a business level because <laughs> what we're wanting to do is grow our dreams. And the elders have instructed us. After the Global Elders Gathering, we went to Mexico and sat with the elders in December 21 at the end of 2012, and we studied these social enterprise models from around the world, from around New Zealand, and we've taken the best practice models, we've implemented it. Now what we need to figure out how to do is we can grow it so we can impact it. So I believe the future of our business is in America. Um, I believe Americans are very conscious 
They're very interested to learn about Indigenous culture. They want to learn uh, about Australia. Uh, and we want to learn about America and American culture. So maybe someone is out there listening from uh, a philanthropic um, area or some, some Indigenous communities are listening to this and we would open up our hearts and our country to create a cultural exchange programs. This is how it happens. We're sharing each other's culture. We're celebrating each other's culture. And we're, you know, we're creating this alternative paradigm based on these earth-based cultures where our responsibility, what do we do as, as the general listener, the general person out there? We, we connect in our local community with our elders. We, we strengthen our social and community values. We bring our tribe together. But that's what it's about. It's about business, conscious capitalism. We aim to create one of the world's first, you know, Fortune 500 companies that is ethical. And it has an ethical framework. It adheres to this ethical framework and we're transparent. And we believe we can do that. And we believe people want to support that type of company. And that, if we want to change the world, our opinion is we change the consciousness of the Fortune 500 CEOs. And we give everybody that opportunity uh, from the general public to these Fortune 500 companies, they are taught to operate in a psychopathic manner and they're rewarded to do so because that's what generates outcomes in this industrial capitalist model. Whereas we can run ethical companies uh, at high levels, we just need to help teach those CEOs and those decision makers uh, how to do this. <laughs> Well, well, you've got an amazing vision, and I have no doubt, Rom, that you will fulfill the vision because it's such a mission and it's such a passion, and you have such a firm foundation from which you are building your vision. So I'm excited for you and to see how all of this unfolds. And maybe there is someone listening on this podcast right now that will be part of that global mission that you have. Nothing surprises me these days. At all. Well, we're looking you know. for more stockists in the U.S. So we're looking for partners in the U.S. that, that want to promote and develop this natural medicine. Um, and, and, and that's sort of uh, the future, I believe, is how, how do we expand? Where do we go? And more importantly, when people come to Australia, we want them to be able to, you know, we would invite people now, once the borders open, hopefully, uh, to, to stand together, um, yeah. united. Well, that is the goal, and you know, you you have um, a beautiful story. And for people who are really committed to high quality products, you know, you you tick all the boxes with what you've done: the quality of the products, the purity of the oils, how you personally press them into the oils. I've been working with um, you know, a chemistry department up there. Uh, to create something even better than what you had that's so needed right now, these, these antivirals, these uh, products that can protect you against insects. It's all very exciting. I'm, I'm excited by what you are doing, and I'm certainly excited by the vision that you hold and inspired to see you bringing this into the world, Ram. And you're, you're just doing amazing things, you and your wife and your family, and um, – the amazing community that you are a part of. So, uh, you know, I just really want to thank you for spending the time with us today, for being such a cultural guide to these uh, amazing elders and wisdom keepers in Australia, and then 
taking their essences of that land of the land and translate it into the oils so people can tap into those frequencies. You know, when you talk about the um, composition of the oils, and you know, you can get eucalyptus oil in the U.S. or Brazil, whatever, but it's the frequency that counts. And when you get an oil that's from the the soil that it grew up in for thousands and thousands of years and been caretaken and loved by the communities, that's a different frequency entirely. Mm. Mm. And it's and it's a it is that frequency, but it's also measurable using science, which is very beautiful to verify. Uh using modern science, but it's also that frequency. We've proven what you're saying in this study, that our oils have from this area that have been wild harvested, evolved there naturally over 20 million years, have the highest content of any oil produced in the world. So even though you can grow that one plant somewhere else, like you're saying, the essence and the spirit of where it evolves from, the endemic native species. Um, yeah, and that's, that's what we're, we're fortunate enough. That's our greatest asset is this medicine in nature. Um, so we'd really yeah. like to invite people to have a little bit more of a look at the Rare Earth Foundation, um, and that's R-E-F-RogerEchoFoxtrot.org.au, and that's the non-profit side of what we're doing. Uh, the rest of it, there's information on um, the Rare Earth Oils website, that's rareearthoils.com, but we'd also love to chat and hear from anybody that's been listening to the program. They can ask us questions through our Facebook or Instagram. Um, and anyone listening out there that produces essential oils or wild harvest oils, we want to collaborate with other people with similar values around natural medicines. So we'd also love to hear from you. Well, uh, I, I trust you will be hearing from people all over the world. Um, and, uh, you know, Ram, thanks again for everything you're doing, for sharing with us your story, your passion, and your successful enterprise bringing these uh, treasures out into the world so thanks for your time today and for everyone listening thank you for another opportunity to have these great inspirational conversations on the love code we've been talking to ram admedes he's from rareearthoils.com from down under and until next time may your week be filled with love peace and harmony bye for now 